part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Father, we thank you so much that those uh, words that we sing, Father, declare truth that we can find in Scripture, Father, that we're not just uh, kind of claiming an emotion, not just hoping on something that is not founded in solid biblical truth. But, Father, when we make these proclamations this morning, when we say that you truly will be there and that you have a sovereign hand, a providential hand, Father, we're just declaring truth. We're just singing songs that have already been declared by you and spoken to us in your wonderful words. So, Father, we thank you for this. I thank you for these three ladies uh, venturing out today. Father, it would have been easy for them to say, no, we're, we're kind of intimidated. We're a little bit scared. And, Father, they were, they were nervous. And yet, Father, you, you've already taught us this morning. Father, you've already shown us a sermon, Father, just of obedience. And so I thank you. And I praise you, Father, because you are the one that gives us spirits of obedience. You empower us, Father, to be able to follow you. We love you. Now open our minds and our hearts to the beauty of your word, Father, that as we would discuss for the next 30 minutes or so, just what we find there, how we claim these truths, how each you have a call on each one of our lives. Father, we may we hear a personal message that really does apply to us specifically through the power of your Holy Spirit. We claim this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, as you're seated this morning, uh, you can open your Bibles to Ephesians 2.10. And ladies, again, I thank you very much for just leading us this morning. You know, we're going to talk about God's personal call in your life. Uh, when we use that word call, I, I think so many times that we just kind of regulate that maybe to ministers or some specific act of ministry. And I think we're doing a, a, a very uh, dangerous thing when we think that maybe it's just the ministers that are called or people that have this certain standing in the church that are called. I truly believe that we go to biblical record and we will find that every Christian, every person who is a true follower and believer in Christ is called. God calls you at that point. It may be to something that is very general in nature that he calls you to be this Christian, a husband or, or, or wife or mother or father. And, and some of it is more on that practical level. But I truly believe that for all the people that struggle about what is God's will for my life, that I think a lot of answers can be found in this call that he places upon our life. I, I don't know that I've ever met a Christian who at some point in time in their life did not struggle. I just I want to know God's will for my life. And, and they really kind of set it up as if somehow God had this mystery box back there, three curtains, and if they picked the wrong curtain, that somehow God just was going to blow them out of the water and they were going to miss out on life. And I just don't see God biblically doing that. What I do see is just as challenging, though. I see a God who calls and then leaves that response of obedience or disobedience to us. We see sovereignty and we see man's responsibility side by side. We see sovereignty preceding that, but we do not exclude man's responsibility biblically, but we certainly don't do it because we're initiating things. When we see the biblical record, God is the initiator. Folks, that, that's the comfort that we have this morning. For all those times you say, I just wonder what God's will is for my life. Don't think you're initiating conversation with holy God that he has not already had answer for, that he didn't know before the foundation of the world that, there would, that you would be in that place, you would be facing this decision, that you would be up against this mountain or whatever it might be, that God is not already there, but he already has a way for you. It's this whole difference of, of looking at things. 
When you look at it just from, okay, what is God's will for my life, as if it's some mystery that is out there to be discovered, you've got to be pretty good at detecting the clues. You have to be a spiritual Sherlock Holmes. But if we look at the biblical record, we just see people like Abraham and Moses. They're about their business. It's not that they're in defiance of God. It's not that they're against God or anti-God. But what we see is that they're just doing life, guys. And God invades their life. And God says, Abraham, pick up everything that is familiar and go to a place that I will show you. Moses, Moses, come over here. I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. David, I want you to go in there. I want you to fight this giant. God is the initiator. They're not on the spiritual retreat. They just didn't fend up the, the, the ladies' retreat or the, the men's retreat and said, okay, on this spiritual mountain, I, I wanted to hear God. And I climbed up there and uh, you know, I sat before God. What is the meaning of life? We, we get that in Eastern mysticism. But guys, that's not biblical record. Uh, that doesn't say that from time to time, th- there's not times like this and that picture in our lives when we really just need to get away from, from all the different factors of life and we just need to go out there and, and God's creation, that, that, that fingerprint of, of who he is and, and what he's created and, and just say, okay, God, what are you calling me to? Not so much what is your will for my life. I'm, I'm not against those words. I just, I put so much emphasis on God's calling because I see that much more reflective of biblical record than what is your will for my life. Because that question, what is your will for my life, puts a whole bunch of responsibility back on me to be some kind of great detective. When I start phrasing it and really understanding, God, what is your call upon, it insinuates by the very question that, God, you are ins- you're the one who is starting this. You're the one that's inviting me in. You already have a call upon my life. So if you ever come up to me, Bobby, I'm really struggling with what God's will is for my life. I'm not going to be offended. I don't think that it's a wrong question. I just think that there's a bigger question. And that bigger question, biblically speaking, is what is God calling you to? This morning as we open up in Ephesians 10, we're going to set a little bit of a, of a, of a background to that first and, and just see the power of God's call. Truth is, God calls. He even called this world into being. We go all the way back to Genesis 1.5. In Genesis 1.5, it says, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. It's not just that, okay, okay, Bobby, that's the same word, he called. No, what did he do? He spoke light, he spoke darkness, he called something. In other words, he's shown his majesty and his sovereignty over all these things. Well, we go down a couple more verses, Genesis 1.10. He called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. It's the creation story. In one way, very simplistic, but I think it's very important for us to see from the very beginning of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, that God is a calling God. He's the initiator. He's the one that is majestic over all these things. He's the one that has authority. Because when it gets down to the practical thing of, of, of these three ladies, okay, hey, man, I think you can lead worship next week. I really know you can. I know you can lead me in worship. And they still have to make a decision. Do we feel that that's God's call upon our life? Even though we might be nervous about it, is this something that we respond to or do we respond to the fear? Is that really all that different from you and I walking through life and having the opportunity to respond in faith or in fear? I mean, 
Every one of us this morning, I, I promise you, has a story of what's going on in our life right this moment. And for some, it's going to be really something very practical, very, you know, almost, if you want to say, common. That this is just one of those times of your life that the temperature is down a little bit. It's, it's not bearing, the, the oven's not heating up to, to, to 500 degrees. But others of you this morning may be in the very, what you feel is the crucible of life. You feel like, man, my goodness, I'm just days or weeks or months away from either making it or breaking it. And what a heavy load that is if we're just trying to discover, and it's upon our shoulders to discover God's will for our life. As opposed to listening and asking God to give us the faith and the the, the ability to be obedient. He speaks things into order. Uh, We we follow along in Genesis, and and we see Abraham, Abram at that time. And look at this call that God puts on Abram. Now again, is Abram a good man? Yes, it tells us about that he's a good man, he's a righteous man. But he's not on a spiritual trek. He, He hasn't just attended a weekend retreat. He's coming back and says, okay, now that I am all pumped up with this spirituality, I'm ready to take on something. God, what do you have for me? He's just doing what God has called him to do already. And now look at this call that comes in Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Do you see this pattern that starts to develop of God calling God initiates, he calls, and man at that point, as we see here, and we would see in Moses and David and so many others, he either responds or he rebels. Basically, that is our response to a God who is sovereign, who is initiating things. We really have that ability to either respond or rebel. And sometimes, well, I don't know that it's really failure if I was just, I mean, rebellion, if I was just kind of scared, I was kind of nervous, I got cold feet. No, no, if you are sure of God's call, and you really know in your heart that this is what God's called you to, it is rebellion. I love you, but it's rebellion in my life. When I don't respond, it's rebellion in your life. And I wouldn't be a loving pastor to you if I kind of tried to water it down so that we could just all go out of here feeling good about ourselves when we get cold feet. Now, when God calls, it is either going to be a response, an agreement, okay, God, I'm trusting for this, or it's going to be a rebellion. And folks, it can be about spiritual matters, but it can be the practical matters of life. Maybe you're in, in, in the midst of a job, either a change, or you're thinking about a change, or this, that, and the other, and you're kind of, okay, I just want to know God's will. I so get that desire to know God's will. My question would be, what is God calling you to? Has he already spoken? Has he already said something? Is there something that... You're waiting for these cards to come together before you make that response. But what is it that he's already called you to? See, that's what we see in the ministry of Christ. There are so many times that the Pharisees and the religious leaders would come up and they say, well, Christ, tell us this. And you know what Christ, what his typical response was to so many of those times of the Pharisees? He said, well, you tell me this first. In other words, okay, this you already know. And they said, well, you know, especially one time they got in a quandary because God, you know, Jesus kind of put them, they couldn't answer it one way or the other about John the Baptist. Well, man, if we answer about John the Baptist this way, 
the people are going to be against us because they really think that John the Baptist is a prophet. But if we answer it this way, then Jesus is going to say, you know, I have that same justification. And they felt like they were caught in the middle. They didn't have a response. And so they said, well, Christ, you answer us this question. He said, no. You don't answer this one, you don't get further knowledge. And I really do think that there's a biblical principle there that sometimes, even if it's a small step of obedience, that God is waiting for that step of obedience before he expands our vision on some things. Not every time. He's a gracious God. He's a loving God. And so I don't want to put all the burden then right back on us, but folks, it doesn't get much more complex than this. There's either a response or there's a rebellion that comes into our lives. Abraham isn't the one that said, you know, it would really be good, God, if you had a people. I like being part of a group. I like identifying with a bulldog nation. 93,000 people show up for a spring game. You know, I like being a part of something like that. I like to be, you know, everybody have on their shirts and everybody's wearing their colors and everybody feels like they're a part of a big family. Abraham is not going out going, you know, wouldn't it be good, God, if you had a people? No, God comes up and says, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave that which is comfortable and familiar and I want you to go out. Why? Because I'm going to call a people. You're, you're going to be my people. And Abraham either responds or he rebels. Is it that much different with Jonah? Jonah is not on a spiritual retreat. He's not saying, okay, I just want to do something really magnanimous for you. I just really want to do something that nobody else will do for you. Give me the tough job. No, Jonah is just being Jonah. And God comes up and says, okay, he is a prophet. Now, again, God is calling him to be a prophet. And so in that, God says, okay, I want you to go where? You remember? Nineveh. Why don't you go tell those Ninevites that they need to repent? And Jonah goes, number one, I hate the Ninevites. Number two, I'm scared of the Ninevites. Number two, I really don't want them to repent. I want them to get what they deserve. I mean, there were so many different emotions. And so what does Jonah do? He's got a response, uh, an ability there to respond to God's call or to rebel against God's call. And he rebels. He actually gets on the ship that is going in the most opposite direction to what God had called him to. Did he blow his one chance? No, we see mercy and grace. We see a sovereign God. We see a God who actually chases after Jonah. He gets thrown into the ocean. He gets swallowed by this big fish. That would be death for most people. And God actually has that big fish come and then kind of spit up Jonah on the sand. Time and time again, we see the patience of God. We see the sovereignty of God. We see the grace of God. But we see that God had made a call upon Jonah's life. And he didn't say, okay, I I uncall you. I negate the call just because you're disobedient. We see a passionate pursuing of a grace-giving God. And so, guys, I don't think that there's going to be this one chance, respond or rebel, and if you strike out that one time, that it's all over. I'm not saying, who am I to talk for God, except for how he has talked about himself in his record. But I see a gracious God. I do see a God who, who basically says, here's the call. You respond, you rebel. Look again at Genesis 12, 1 and 2. 
Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you for you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Goes on the next verse says, you know, those people that bless you, I will bless them. Those that curse you, I will curse you. And he kind of lays out this pattern there in this calling. But look at that, folks. The call is clear. Is there any part of, of that that is not clear that God is calling Abram? The only part that's unsure is where. He, he said, I'm calling you. It's very specific. You leave that which is comfortable, that which is familiar, family, your surroundings, where you've grown up. Leave all of that to a place that I will show you. That was the only question mark. And I guarantee you that Sarah said, now where are we going? I mean, you start leaving family. And I guarantee you, would that not be the question that you would ask? It's not that I'm not going to go. I just, you're saying you don't even know where we're going? And so don't think that this was just a no-brainer for, for Abraham. I mean, he truly, very clear on the call, very clear of the result of the call. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. The only thing that he did not know is where that was. But I guarantee you that can be a big thing. It can be a huge thing. And that huge thing is usually sometimes what keeps us from responding and maybe even puts us in a step toward rebellion. And that's where we wrestle, guys. How did Abraham, Abram at this point, how did he respond? Look at verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, as the Lord had called him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. I said, I mean, 75 years old. I don't know how many we have here that are at least in, in that, you know, near that age, around that age. And I don't know if you went home today, men, told your wife, hey, we're picking up everything. Where are we going? I don't know. We're just responding. I know without a doubt that God is called. And I know that there's a blessing involved in this call. The one thing I do not know is the, the exact detail that it's Cleveland. I mean, surely God wouldn't call anybody to Cleveland, right? <laughs> so, so Abram's dealing with this, and he has a chance to respond rebel. Now, let's make it personal. Go to Ephesians 2.10. I, I told you that we we're going to be in Ephesians 2.10. It's one of my favorite passages because it really is this Ephesians 2.8.9. You don't get a, a clear plan of, of God's gift of salvation than in those two verses. But he immediately follows it up with this call upon the believer's life on what God wants you to do in response after he puts faith and response in your heart. Look what it says, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. What Paul is laying down there is very simple. He says, look... If you become a Christian, it is only 100% because God has offered this gift. Your goodness, your ability to go out and tell other people, your, you know, your being a moral person, none of this adds to the fact that God leans your way and chooses you, elects you, and saves you. Your goodness had nothing to do with it. And, and that's actually a very good thing because if he graded on the curve... I'm suspect about some of you. 
I'm kidding. But aren't you glad that it's not on the curve? At least on a weekly basis? <laughs> and so he says this, this grace, that salvation comes by grace alone. It's the only way that you're going to be saved is by God's grace, by his choosing there. And, and it's not of works. You cannot add anything. God doesn't change his mind either. You know that God has never had the dilemma of sitting there when somebody entered eternity and said, my goodness, this guy, he never truly trusted the provision of Christ. But he is so good. He's like one of the best men that I've ever... God has never had that dilemma. We have that dilemma all the time. It's really hard. I've had that dilemma as a pastor preaching a funeral of somebody that I really doubted, you know, knew Christ. And I know that only because their own testimony of their mother. I mean, if your mother doesn't think that you trusted Christ and have every hope for you, you know, who, who's pulling for you then? And, and the mother was like, no, he never trusted Christ, never saw any response to God whatsoever in his life. Never saw, and, and yet, this was a really good guy. Teacher of the year several times. Had infected, uh, affected thousands of students in his teaching ministry. And so people were there that day, and they were struggling. Surely this guy, just out of all that he has given to education, to thousands and thousands of students, surely this guy is in heaven. And I preached, you know, that, that day, the first part, and, and the next minister got up there, and he actually kind of preached that guy into heaven on works. And I talked to him afterwards, and I said, you know better, you know the scripture. And he said, but... I just had a dilemma. He was such a good... He did so much good. We have that dilemma, guys. God doesn't have that dilemma. He, he states right here, we're saved through, through grace, through, through the faith of what Christ has done. But now look at the next verse. After Paul has clearly established that salvation is not by works, you're not earning anything, God doesn't say, I will do 99%. You just kind of cap it off. You just do 1%, and that will show me honesty, integrity, and, and believerism. No, he says, I've done 100%. But now look what happens right afterwards. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I heard a preacher say it this way. It's a little bit of bumper stick theology, and I'm not a real big personal bumper sticker theology. Most people that put bumper stickers about spiritual things, it's kind of surface. But, uh, but this is, if I'm going to put a bumper sticker on, this would probably be one I would be tolerable of. We are not only saved from something, we are saved to something. Because that's what he's saying here in these three verses. You are saved from your sin, but you are saved to something. Very much, God doesn't just save you and sit you. God is not looking for trophies. He's not saying, okay, I'm going to just I'm going to save you, and then I'm going to put you over here, kind of just sit you on the sidelines. He's, he's not looking for trophies. He's looking for people that will come in and bring him glory. Not just do good. God trumps even doing good with one more thing, and that is for his own glory. And when God saves you, he saves you for his glory. And when he calls you into work, he does that for his own glory. Not just so that we'll be good people. Not just so that neighbors would say, well, you know, those people down in Cornerstone, those, those are just really good people. That may be a blessing that is associated with this life. 
But God does everything for His own glory. God is all about God. And when you first hear that, you're like, well, man, that's kind of self-centered. Where else would you be centered if you were God? On me. No, He loves me. He gave His very best to die for me. But God is consumed. You read the Old Testament, He's consumed with His own glory. And it's pure, it is holy, and it's just. And so he saves us not just to become good people, these good works, so we can just be better people. He does it for his glory. And that's the transformation that comes. I'm going to break this verse down just very quickly, and we'll see four parts of verse 10. Number one, he says that we are his workmanship. The Greek word there is where we get our word poem, but it really means more than just poem. It means masterpiece. If you've ever heard somebody say, or you've seen one of those signs, you are God's masterpiece. For the believer, we we can claim that. We can truly say that biblically based on this verse. Because Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing this, and he says, okay, you are God's work of art. You're a masterpiece. I don't know how many masterpieces you've looked at. You've been over in France, you've went to the Louvre, we went to this place, that place, and you, you've looked at things like the Mona Lisa, or you've looked at the sculpture of David, you've looked at some of these other things, you're going, man, that is a masterpiece. Now I know why everybody just goes on and on about that. When we were at the Sistine Chapel and you look up and you see that masterpiece there, you know, man, this is a masterpiece. Now, this is not paint by colors. This is an Elvis on black velvet. This is really something. That's what Paul proclaims. God proclaims through Paul here. And you are God's masterpiece. Now, who is he talking about? He's talking about the believer. He's talking about those who have received grace and, 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 and through, through faith are now a believer. So the first thing that we see there, and God establishes, you are his workmanship. Why does he establish that from the very beginning? Because I think our typical response a lot of times to God's call in our life is what Moses said. Do you remember what the first words of Moses were? Who am I? And I don't know that there's a believer in here that hasn't, upon hearing God's call, at some point in time said, you know, who am I? I mean, Moses danced around that so much that God says, well, let me give you a stick. Well, I can't speak. Well, let me give you a brother. God keeps on giving him to everything where he comes back to this resource. Who am I? God keeps on patiently, lovingly, say, Moses, I've called you. He doesn't say, okay, obviously you're rebelling. I'm going to go get somebody else. He, he pursues Moses in that, and he's patient, and he's graceful in that. At the same time, he is persistent in that. I can't say this categorically because I never want to box God in because God cannot be boxed. I can just tell you this, guys personal experience, uh, seeing thousands of people try to, to walk the Christian life for, for these many years. We have a pursuing God. He's a persistent God. And will there be times that God does say, no, and he leaves us there? Yeah. But what I see most is people who are not responding to, to God, that it just never leaves. It leaves for a season. I mean, I've talked to guys that are in their 50s or 60s, and they said, yeah, when I was 28, God called me to do this. But I didn't do it for this reason, this reason, this reason. 
And they said, you know, honestly, I've been frustrated all my life. There were times I was satisfied with the job. There was times I was able to do this. But I was never, ever really able to have peace because in the back of my mind, God's call was always there. Now, I don't want to put that as a heaviness on you, but I just want to know, I don't know that we escape God's call in our life. I don't know that we don't have to at least deal with it in our life. And it can be heavy. So, so here we, we are God's workmanship. He, he equips us for what he designs for us to do. Second part, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Where do we get our strength? Because you're just a good person? No. In Christ, this familiar phrase of the New Testament, Paul's most familiar, most loved phrase that he uses, that now here's the new life that we have because we are saved. Because of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, now in Christ, he's prepared us, created us for good works. And part of this whole transformation of the new life that we have in Christ is the desire to live for God rather than to live for self. It is one that will take place all the way till we take our last breath. Our theme, our vision for 2016, die to self so that we can live in Christ. If you live to be 100 years old, I guarantee you, You'll still be, you know, God will still be kind of pushing you, maturing you, challenging you to die to self, to live for him. That's God's call to every Christian. And he says that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. Here's the conclusion that we, I have come to. I'm not going to ace the test, but folks, at the same time, God has put in my heart a desire to do well on the test. You may not be acing the task of this good, whole good works and obedience to Christ and always responding rather than rebelling, but don't you want to do good on that test? Who knows who is saved and who's not? You know, I was telling about that man. Who knows? Thank goodness God will deal justly with every single person who's ever walked this earth. But when somebody comes up and says, Pastor... I'm really struggling with this. What do you see in a person's life that is authentically saved? And I say, you know, I don't see perfection, but I do see desire. I do see that God has initiated a desire for them to be obedient and not rebel. I said, I can't say that categorically. I can't say that everybody who has never, ever responded to God, you know, and, and afterwards, after salvation, is not saying, who am I to say that? I just know that one of the traits of the Christian life is this whole transformation that takes place. That's one of the evidences. If, uh, in fact, if you're dealing with sin in your life and you feel yourself frustrated by sin, to me, that's one of the signs that the very Holy Spirit lives in your heart. That you're frustrated by it. Because if I, if I get the Bible right, we are to hate sin more and more and more. And so in that growth and maturity that takes place as we grow in Christ and in Christ's likeness, more and more, we're, it's not that we're going to stop sinning. I mean, we can through the power of Christ, but it's not like all of a sudden we're just never going to sin. What's going to happen is we just... we hate that sin. It's going to bring disgust to our lives. And that's actually, to me, the sign of the Holy Spirit is working there. Well, Christ brings us with us this desire to do authentic good works. Uh, Paul wrote this in Philippians 1.6. Look up on the, on the screen. It says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 
And what I take that theologically mean is that justification, our justification before a holy God is not a process. That is, your salvation is not a process. You're not in the process of being saved. And that I could turn to Dustin and say, okay, you're about 50% saved. Jeff, you're about 70% saved. Good. No, justification is instantaneous. That, that moment of faith and belief on what Christ has done, and we, when we say, okay, here's how I am restored into right relationship with the Holy God, through the work of Christ, I put my whole faith, not on my good works, not on my ability to be good, but on what Christ has done. Justification takes place miraculously. But sanctification, we've used that word before, that's the rest of our life until glorification. And sanctification, this becoming more and more like Christ, like Romans 8:29. Man, I don't know about you, but mine's a roller coaster. Some really, really good days and some really, really challenging days. But, but we see, you know, this again, Paul's writing to Christians. He says, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. More and more becoming like Christ. So we see this tying together that uh, God puts there and that God is the initiator that he has prepared for beforehand. Look at that very last phrase, that we should walk in them. Whenever you see the, walk, the word walk in the New Testament, 99% of the time it means lifestyle. It means the way that you're actually living it out. It's not talking about walking with your legs. It means actually that you're living this out a 24-7, seven days a week type thing. That word means your lifestyle. So here he says, okay, that we should have this lifestyle of work. For our salvation, no. For our justification to make it more theological sounding, no. But as evidence of Christ working in our lives, yeah. I mean, James, one of the most practical books in the whole Bible. Look at the line that James draws. That's why a lot of times people say, well, Paul preached this theology, but James preached that theology. They were not opposing in their theology. Paul wasn't Mr. Grace and James Mr. Works. They were both saying, okay, you're saved by grace, but God calls you now into a work, a calling. James 2.14 What good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith, but he does not have works? Can that faith save him? James makes it kind of black and white. He says, look, I'm not saying that you're saved by your works. I'm just saying that if you are authentically saved by God, if you authentically have been called by God, you've been saved by him, there's going to be this desire that you want to follow God. It doesn't mean that you're going to ace the test. But it does mean that more and more and more you're going to hate sin and you're going to love the things of God. You want to be more and more conformed to the image of God. That is sanctification, guys. It's a lifelong process until glorification takes place. Paul said it this way in Colossians 1.10. So as to walk in manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in knowledge of God. There's a growth that is taking place. My question this morning as we close. Well, what is God calling you to? What is God calling me to? Now, not so much how do you do five ways to discover God's will for your life. 
I kind of hate that approach. I just don't see it line up biblically. In counseling, a lot of times, I mean, I'm dealing with a husband and a wife. And we're talking about the complexities of that relationship, or maybe it's a, a, a parent and a child. And I'll just ask him, hey, if I know that they're a believer, if, if I know that, you know that they profess belief in, in, uh, you know, in Christ and that they're a believer, I said, what do you feel God calling you to in this matter? And you know that 99.9% of the time, they really do have an answer. That is, not that they just blurt it out, but a lot of times they will come back and say, well, here's what I kind of think I know, I, you know God is leading me to do. I said, then where's the struggle? And the struggle is, do I respond or do I rebel? Because there is fear. Did the fear instantly go away on Monday or Tuesday because y'all agreed to, to lead us this morning? Or was it like bigger this morning, right before you got it? Like at 10.59, had fear escaped the room altogether? No. So that's, that's the process of living out our life of sanctification, guys. But as we've said the last couple of weeks, we are not a slave to this fear. We're not a slave to failure. We're not a slave to this. This is what the resurrection means in our life. And with this resurrection and this, is this personal call of God, would you be amazed... I mean, take whatever genre that you want. If you're into race cars, if you're into baseball, if you're into singers, that that athlete, that superstar, would call you up and just say, okay, Cleve, what, what do you think about that race? Should I have turned left or right when I got to that bank? You know, when I, when I got there and I went, tried to go around car 24, should I have, what do you think? You go, my goodness. I'm speaking to the man. Are are you overwhelmed that holy God, sovereign God, the one and only God, would speak and call you by name? Is that not amazing? Is that not humbling? Is that not empowering? Not empowering of self, empowering to answer this call. That God could have chosen, he looked at the world, that he could have chosen anyone. He says, Abram, Moses, David, Saul. He calls them by name. And I promise you this morning, if you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and his work, he has called you by name. He's called you to something. It may be to, to stay at home and homeschool the kids. It may be to do this. It may be to do that. It may be to go talk to your neighbor about the gospel. It may be all these different things. But it's not so much, okay, God, what is your will for my life? I think a better question for us that deals directly biblically is, what has God called you to? Not so much, what is the unknown? What do you know in your heart and your mind as you walk with God and as you read the Bible that you just know that he's called you to? And it may be, okay, he's called you to be this loving husband that loves his wife as Christ loves the church. To be this wife that just comes and and, and, and submits to her husband as, as the church submits to Christ. That is those things that you just know because the Holy Spirit has driven them deep into your stomach, deep into your heart, and it just you know that's the calling. And I just ask you this morning, respond. By grace and by his empower, respond. Because I've tried the rebellion part, and it doesn't work. 
It doesn't work. Let's pray this morning. Father God, thank you that you are a personal God. And Father, I don't know how we have this morning, but if there's 70, 80 here this morning, Father, that I really believe that you are speaking. You have the ability to speak through your very spirit, Father, to each one of us, and that there are 80 different messages that we've heard this morning, all impacting us where we are, what we need. You're that kind of a loving, personal God. You don't deal with us in a generic way. And so, Father, my prayer this morning is that we would hear your voice, that, Father, we would understand the difference between just kind of seeking your will and responding to your call, and that you would help us to differentiate between those two, and that we would see that the the major difference is that you are the initiator. It's about you. It's not about us. And that we would just take encouragement from that. And so, Father, this morning, we want to be like Abram, but we kind of feel like Jonah. And so, Father, will you bring us to a place of obedience in your patient pursuit, in your persistent pursuit, will you continue, Father, to love us and show us the grace that you have? Even this day, Father, give us that ability to respond to you in just a, a loving way. We ask all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.